This is the Beyond the Studio podcast. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller, and we're here to help you figure out the business of being an artist. Here we'll have honest conversations with artists, makers, and business experts, and dive deep into the work that happens beyond the studio. If you find value in listening to these conversations, please consider leaving us a rating and a review or sharing some of your favorite episodes with your creative community. It's the easiest way to show us some love and help others find the podcast. Beyond the Studio is a fiscally sponsored project of Independent Arts and Media, I Am, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. You can now make contributions to the podcast by going over to our website, beyondthe.studio slash about. Just click on the button that says donate here. All donations made through IAM are tax deductible. Your support is greatly appreciated and goes directly towards sustaining the work of the podcast. If you're a fan of the podcast and want to share what you're learning beyond the studio, please consider submitting to our listener spotlight to be featured on our social media channels. It's also the best way to pitch yourself to be a guest on the show. Just follow the link in our show notes or on the contact page of our website, beyondthe.studio. On today's episode of Beyond the Studio, we are releasing a conversation that we recorded in early February with the SideWoo podcast as our first ever podcast roundtable conversation. If you're also an artist and podcaster and want to share a conversation like this, don't hesitate to reach out. And don't forget to check out the SideWoo podcast for more conversations like this. Last week, they released the episode to their feed and this week releasing it here. Before we jump into the episode, I just wanted to drop in a quick announcement. We're taking a brief break from releasing the listener spotlights on social media for the month of April while Nicole is out of the country on her artist residency, which you can follow her experience on her social media. And I'm trying to get caught up in my own studio in life as well. And we're accepting listeners to the spotlight. And we'll be back to sharing them again on our social media in May. We're just taking a little break for releasing them. We hope that you've been enjoying our seasonless approach with the weekly episodes. And we've got some amazing conversations coming up that we've already recorded that we can't wait to share with you, including this one. So let's get to it. Okay, I'm just going to start that just in case. Just in case there's like a juicy tidbit in here somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, it has begun. Cool. Well, um, yeah, I was listening to, you know, some of your podcasts, but then also made sure to like try to listen to your autobiographical ones. You know, I know Nicole, but I don't know Amanda, you know, so I felt like to know more. The vibe is very casual on our podcast. You guys are a little bit more formal and like professional, um, which I I appreciate. Oh, it doesn't even feel that way from our side. (laughs) Well, that's good. Yeah, I know. I was like, let's talk. Well, I was like, who's got the Capricorn energy coming in? Well, I do have, uh, it's not in my sun, moon, or rising, but almost everything else on my chart is Capricorn. It's like... Really? Oh my God. I was thinking like, I cannot believe there's no Capricorn in there. Like, I was like, I'm getting so much Capricorn from this podcast because just the practicality of it. Pull up my (laughs) co-star. Oh, yeah, it's here. All that in Capricorn. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh. Just all, feeling all of the things, but doing great. Just That's amazing. Oh, how funny. Hi. Hi. Hi, Liz. Oh, hello. Hi, sorry I'm late. 
Oh, no worries. All good. I told them you have a child. So, you know, life yeah, is unpredictable. Okay. Very gracious. <laughs> Carry on. Amanda has a stellium and Capricorn. I do. It is true. Should we just start with sun sign and like moon sign and rising just so everyone knows what they're dealing with? Sure. Sure. I feel like the least knowledgeable of the group about this. Like I can tell you what I am, but I don't really know what it means. So, well, I think too, just per what Amanda said, like you could have a rising and a sun, whatever, and be totally like a water sign, you know, but then have like all this other stuff in your chart. Like I have a ton of Libra, but you wouldn't see that by what I know. Mm. But yeah, Amanda, would you like to start? Oh yeah, I'll start. I'm Amanda Adams and I'm a Aquarius sun, Leo moon, Libra rising. And uh, what did you call it in Capricorn? Stellium. Yes. Yeah, stelliums when you have like four or more planets in one house, um, or it could be one sign or one house. Yeah. Yeah. So that's me. Nicole, what about you? Yeah. Hi, I'm Nicole Muller. I'm a Libra sun, Sagittarius moon, and Aries rising. Cool. Um, well, I'm Sarah Thibault, and I am a Scorpio sun, Scorpio rising, and Capricorn moon. Really? Yeah. Wait, I did sorry. not know that. Oh, my it's God. <laughs> Capricorn moon? Well, the, the Capricorn Scorpio, like the double wham. It's a weird combo. Uh, like intensity and practicality. Like intense, practical, intense, practical. Achieve, achieve, achieve. Work hard all the time. Don't wow. <laughs> but it's like you have so much dedicated to the, the unscience of the unseen that that's also very not Capricorn. And so anyway, carry on. Oh, no. Well, it's your turn. What are you? OK, so I um, I have this. Pro- I'm sorry to make this longer. I have this problem that nobody knows what time I was born. Oh, no. <laughs> and every few years I call my mom to try to figure it out. And it's always like nine, 10, 11, 12. So it's a little unclear. So I feel like I've rejected some, we know I am a Libra. I am a Libra, Libra, Libra. And yeah. then I have Dolphin Libra. Oh, um, okay. Fellow Libra. And then I have um, Scorpio and Cancer. So I, so yeah, a little like big heart with an edge. <laughs> awesome. Nice. I love it. I now realize how spoiled I was with my like, I had a cross stitch hanging above my bed growing up that had like my birth date and time. And so I was like, I, I, I will always know that I was born at 1118 p.m. <laughs> oh, wow. That's cool. And recently then, because you're Aquarius. Oh, yeah. Actually, my birthday is in a couple days. So oh. I'll be I'll be 32 on Tuesday. Coming up. Happy birthday. Oh, thank That's you. Like- the Jesus age, right? Where you're like reckoning with yourself. Oh God. Ooh. We'll Sorry. See what happens. No, not in a bad way. <laughs> no, I'm ready. I mean, I feel like I've, it's been a reckoning of self, but you know, what hasn't been? Right. I feel like since this is our first podcast roundtable discussion, um, and we were just saying we've never really done anything like this before, so it's kind of a fun way to mix up the conversations, but. I wonder, should we kick it off by like talking a little bit about our relationship to one another and what motivated our starting our respective podcast? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I was actually going to say, like, how do we want to handle that? Yeah. Why don't you guys go first? I think that sounds awesome. 
Sure. Yeah. Well, Amanda and I met in art school, so we both attended the Maryland Institute College of Art in Baltimore, where Amanda still lives, and I'm now out on the West Coast in San Francisco. But uh, we were roommates and, well, briefly while we were in school and then when we graduated. And so I think, you know, some of the ideas that seeded the what would later become the podcast started when we were living together um, in those first couple of years post-art school, I think, and just trying to figure out, you know, our new work lives. And I had graduated with a degree in painting. Um, Amanda was photo. And, you know, we were just trying to figure out what we were going to do. And so it was really great to have, you know, that foundation of friendship where we could just exchange ideas and concerns and thoughts and like what we were learning Um, with each other when we were initially roommates. But we started Beyond the Studio podcast in 2017 when I had just moved out to the Bay Area. And Amanda kind of pitched the idea to me, so maybe she can tell more of this story, but um, it was really a way for us to keep collaborating. And yeah, I'll let you (laughs) tell the rest of the story, Amanda. It all started with rejection. (laughs) (laughs) I basically was trying to get a job And I was like, I'm definitely going to get this job. I'm almost almost certain of it. And then I found out that I didn't get the job. And I was like, well, I need some shift. I was so ready for a change. I need to create some kind of change. And uh, Nicole and I had like always been talking about what we were learning in our work and lives as roommates. And I was kind of like, maybe we could do some kind of a podcast. And I don't want to do it by myself because it sounds terrifying and overwhelming. And like, I don't. I don't want to hear myself talk. (laughs) Even when I edit, I'm like, oh, God, the sound of my own voice. But uh, I always loved the conversations Nicole and I had together. So I was like, maybe we can record them and maybe we can ask artists who have figured out problems we don't know the answers to. We can ask them how they figured it out. And it kind of rolled from there. And this year, we've been doing it off and on uh, for a few years, kind of doing a seasonal approach. And this year, we decided to try to commit and release episodes all year every week so we'll we'll see how that goes it feels ambitious but we're also really excited to kind of let the podcast take a bigger role in our lives um it definitely is still a labor of love it's not like paying our bills but it's paying its bills most of the time so oh that's great yeah and i think at the heart of it we wanted to be able to have conversations with other artists about their career paths specifically, Mm -hmm. like how they were building their lives and sort of everything outside of and, you know, beyond the creative process or beyond the studio. So it it definitely has uh, an emphasis on, you know, how artists are making a living, how they're kind of putting the pieces together. And um, I think it's expanded over time, especially, you know, in the last couple of years with the pandemic, just what what that encompasses and, you know, the boundary between our our work and personal lives is so blurred, um, especially as creatives. But that was really the motivation for it, I think, is wanting to really understand how artists were making a living. And, you know, just personally, like I had just moved out to San Francisco and trying to figure out how to make it work as an artist. And Amanda also runs a, a business full time in Baltimore called Close Call Studio. And so I think we both were just, you know, interested in learning from other artists so that we could apply that to our own lives. Honestly, it was really from a position of wanting to learn and, you know, wanting to know how other artists were making it work. But Sarah, I think you may have been one of, I'm trying to remember how we met initially. 
Um, but you were running this really great uh, lecture series called The Painting Salon at the time. And I had attended a couple of those when first moving out here and just trying to get to know other artists. And I think that's how we got connected with each other. I think so too. And then I remember seeing you at this house in the mission where there was an art show. And oh. I don't know if I like you were I forgot about or that. if you were in too. Were you also in that show? Yeah. Oh man. I can't believe I forgot. We were both in this little group show at Brian Chesky's house. Because I just remember that was such a weird Yeah. It was this these two women. <laughs> yes. It was like the, one of the founders of Airbnb's girlfriend, who is also an artist. They like threw, and there was this collective of these two women who were like, we're going to do cool happenings with art. And they, it was like a white party, like the clothing, white colored clothing. And everyone there was like, yeah, there to see art, but also there was like a fashion element to it. And I think Vogue ended up covering it even. It, it was how- like the... If ever, it was yeah, so weird. a soiree is like the only way to describe that event. I've never yeah, been like to like a soiree in, <laughs> in San Francisco, especially. <laughs> so. I think that was one of the first events I had like even participated in in San Francisco. And I was like, wow, like what is the Bay Area? You know, it was just like this group art show themed party at this tech yeah. CEO's house and it was very strange. Yeah. So I think that's how we connected. And then, um, and then Liz and I know each other because Liz started a gallery in Oakland called Royal Nonsuch Gallery. And I became a co-director like a few years in, and I kind of known her through Carrie Hott, who I went to the same undergrad as, but like really tangentially, like I kind of remember you existed. And then well, sir, I I don't remember. I don't know if you remember that you were in our ugly painting show. I do remember that. That yes. was the first time that I remember meeting you, and that was before I even knew about the painting salon. Yeah. Well, and I remember I was in a show even before then when Carrie was still one of the directors. Like you guys did some kind of like holiday sale, and I remember like oh. Taking yeah. my little paintings and like barding all the way over there and then being like, yay, you know, new gallery. Um, and it was like either during grad school or like right after. I think it was during grad school. Yeah, that was early. Yeah. But yeah, I, I kind of remember Carrie, but not your face in that moment. <laughs> womp womp. <laughs> I know. But but now I do. And the reason, um, yeah, I started the podcast about a year ago and then Liz is now the co-host because yeah, like running a podcast by yourself is kind of overwhelming. And I kind of thought like, well, I have a really particular point of view on spirituality and I'm into stuff that is very out there. And I would love like a different perspective and someone who agrees with some of it and doesn't agree with some of it and just has their own interests that they can kind of bring to the table. So I like secretly, like long before we even talked about it was like, Maybe Liz, I was like asking Liz for advice on like what to call it. And I was like, maybe she'll co-host with me one day. <laughs> this is all part of your secret Even before the, like, the name came about. And here we are. <laughs> here we are co-hosting. It's funny. I remember um, the first time I saw the painting salon and I was really, and so the painting salon, I don't know if you've described it or if you've just said the name a lot, 
but it's like, it was like two artists who were sort of painting based ish and like, you know, a multimedia fashion, meaning they didn't have to be strictly painting would come and give it like a, and a very personal yet very contextualized lecture about their work was sort of how I remember the series going. And it was, to me, it felt really emblematic of the Bay area where you have this like, you know, sort of art world, but then you have this like almost like bedroom community of people knowing each other and it feeling very intimate. And so the stories and the way we would all like mush into little spaces felt very much like a part of the culture of the Bay area. Yeah. And like Margaret Tedesco, like throwing her two cents in every couple, like if she had a, if there was an artist that she knew, she would just like basically talk alongside their presentation, (laughs) fill in historical details, which she's like a Bay Area fixture, like gallerist. She worked at SFAI for a long time. And then she runs like a archive of all of her past projects and like maybe does some book printing and designing. But that's like definitely underselling Margaret, which we can talk about in another time. Well, cool. Um, Yeah, I feel like that's a good place to start. So I think one of the things that I thought about for you guys, why I wanted to have you on the podcast and why you agreed is this interlap of like the spiritual and the practical and how one is rooted in the material world and one is rooted in the metaphysical world, but they both are kind of these tools that are inseparable when you're an artist as trying to make it in this really uncertain profession in a world that is like increasingly uncertain And we have to rely on the things that we don't see as much as the things we do to like make it and make our lives work. And so that's kind of what I was thinking about when I was like, oh, beyond the studio, indeed. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or how we'd want to frame that. Yeah, I mean, I know when Nicole was like first presenting the idea to me of talking to you guys and I've been able to listen to your podcast and I love the idea of talking more than just the art, just the business, because I think that the observations and experiences that we have in our self-discovery and in our relationships, they lend so much to our creative practices. And and it just, I love being able to talk about that whenever we can. And so if someone else is into tarot, I'm like, let's talk about it. Or I'm like, tell me your sign. I mean, I don't know much more beyond like, I know my own chart intimately, and I don't know much more about signs for others. But Uh, Aside from my partners, I know his chart too. (laughs) But I know that Nicole and I always want to kind of dive into our beliefs more when we can. Um, So being able to have a conversation more focused on that is amazing. And we're so happy to do it. Yeah. And I think when we first started Beyond the Studio, it was definitely from a kind of a practical standpoint. Like initially, we were thinking um, that we would have these conversations with artists about the nuts and bolts and be talking about things like, you know, how, like, what are their different income streams? How did they get this opportunity? So we were thinking like it was, and I think, you know, some of the conversations definitely stay in that territory but you know the more artists that we talk to and especially as time has gone on they've I think that has just those conversations have broadened and we I think have realized how interconnected all of these different aspects of our work and lives are and so we have been able to have conversations with artists about you know yes like how are they practically 
taking steps to further their career or like how are they, you know, developing relationships or some strategy. But it's also, I think, had a lot to do with just the the emotional side of that. And, you know, how do you, within a career like the arts that is so self-defined, I think a theme that kind of comes up a lot in conversations is just this, that idea of self-awareness and um, kind of knowing your own strengths, weaknesses, limitations, like what you do and don't like to do. And how do you kind of you know, roll all of that into a a lifestyle or a career that works for you. Because obviously, I mean, there is no formula or no one way to be an artist. And so every artist's career looks really different. And that was also a belief or something we wanted to highlight on the podcast. But I think, you know, it really has so much to do with just our own individual personalities. Well, and I think along that line of like, everyone's got to have money coming from somewhere. And so if you're not like somehow being, you know, making it work as a, you know, just with your art, like what are the choices that you make outside of that, that align with your values or not? And then how does that kind of play into how you see your work and, and even the choices you make for your work too. I know that right now I'm talking to a couple of friends who are like right on the precipice of like, do I make the leap into the void and just go for it? You know, I work freelance, meaning these, these friends and like, I work freelance, but you know, I see bigger opportunities, like if I had more time, but then to let go of that income stream for what, and, you know, not knowing whether to trust that I think is like such a huge thing. And, and like, which shows do you take around that time? Because that's going to be really significant in terms of like what you, where you make your money from your art. And so just, how do artists make choices? Like what inner voice is it that we're listening to or are we listening to an external voice? You know, like, how are you making that? So that's something that sits with me a lot because I've relied on tarot more recently, but I think even with tarot, you're listening to something deeper because you can read a tarot card a lot of different ways, you know? So yeah, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. Like what has guided you in making choices that have been kind of like mixing up your life and scary, but then you felt like, oh, well, it's going to be fine or not. Or not. I feel like I always end up making choices based on, or not always, lately, the last year, especially, uh, I won't be so absolute. I feel like I've been making a lot of my choices based on like, what, what quality of life do I want to be have as I move through these decisions? And what is going to work with my current level of mental health and like what I can handle, which my tolerance for pretty much everything is so much lower than it has ever been in the past, which I'm sure is the case for many of us. And so I've had to take that a lot more seriously. And something about tarot, like I was introduced to it by my sister-in-law the night Trump got elected, the which was like... Yeah, we were like, all right, we need to do something. I need something. Bring me those cards. Um, and it was like an instant connection. And I pulled tarot to like help us figure out what when we were buying our house last year. And just over the years, it's been increasingly in my life. And like Nicole and I have touched on it like very briefly within probably like our last episode that we released on the podcast. But like, I was raised in a very conservative Christian environment. And like, as I reached adulthood, I was like, oh, this evangelical life is not for me. Hard pass. I mean, it felt wrong all growing up. But I was like, I don't know. This is all I know. 
And so being able to, in adulthood, be able to like discover myself and find things that do feel really right in my soul, which also contribute to my creative practice. Sorry, these are all tangents, but like these are kind of things that I consider in how I make my decisions for my business and for my life. And like, I don't know, I mean, they're not all good decisions, but I find if I can pause and like look within and think like, does this really feel right in my soul? Whatever that may be, like that kind of helps to fuel it. And I have to trust that my like artist side, the side of me that's like, you're going to figure it out is going to figure it out. So I don't know. Well, I also think that there's something with tarot and, you know, I link all like tarot, occult, um, energy healing, Reiki. I mean, I probably link way too many things into it. And the way I link it is like, so rant, so arbitrary. It's like, do I have the same emotional response to it where I think, oh, this is actually looking at the non-material world in a way that I find interesting. And if the answer is yes, then I put it into this category. And that's like the most blatant, totally unobjective way to build a category. But one thing is that I think tarot for a lot of people does feel transgressive and it feels like you're breaking. I mean, I, I'm a Jew from New York and I, so I did not have like an evangelical upbringing, but in my upbringing, that was very like, you know, more or less super, super secular. It was like, don't waste your time with that stupid stuff. It wasn't like that stuff will taint you or that is a entryway to a world that is dangerous in any way, which I know is, I think more of the, I think the Christianity bent on it. Oh yeah. But it, it was evil. I was told it was, it was a tool of the devil and it was going right. to ruin my soul. And I was like, that sounds right. fun. Awesome. <laughs> Take me there. <laughs> But yeah, we, I was told that you couldn't, you couldn't value anything that you couldn't quantify. And so to have this world enter and open up, that was basically free interpretation based on something as, you know, abstract as like where the planets are in space. And then to actually have be like a heart connection, which is also different from like an intellectual connection felt very like right <laughs> in a, in a way of sort of defining self against what you were brought up with. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, just on that note, like when I first started looking at tarot, like I feel like I'm the gateway for my family who is not super religious. We're like friendly Christian, you know, Christmas tree, go to mass occasionally on a holiday. Um, my dad grew up re really Catholic and then kind of just didn't participate after he left the house. So it's not like, the, yeah, again, similar with Liz, it's not like they're opposed to my parents, even like astrology, but it just wasn't around. And like, I think it, it was just too scary because it was like kind of the other. And so to bring it in, everyone like totally loves it and everyone's super supportive and is like getting readings for Christmas and stuff. But I'm just like, well, why isn't this around? I don't know. I guess it just never there was no access point before this because I think maybe even like our parents' generation, it was just really weird. Like if that wasn't your thing, it was so weird. Whereas now we're kind of going through this phase where it's totally mainstream and like more friendly because of all the decks are different colors. And, you know, I don't know. There's something to that. Like it's been goopified. So now it's okay. <laughs> goopified. <laughs> 
So Amanda or Nicole, who said they grew up with their um, their chart on above their bed? That's very not evangelical, actually. No. Yeah. Oh no, it it was it it probably had a Bible verse also cross stitched onto it. It just had my like birth date, location, time. Oh, okay. I don't know. My grandma wanted to just document the event fully okay. when she oh, stitched cute. it. Not your birth but it, chart. No, no. I didn't I even know. I had her birth chart on there and I was like, damn, girl, that's awesome. <laughs> no, I don't even think I knew I was an Aquarius until I became an adult and I was like, what does being born on February 8th mean? <laughs> and then I was like, wait, that's right, though. <laughs> and then I just kept digging in from there and... Every once in a while, I'll, you know, do like a full deep dive into the chart and like try to understand it all. And I don't generally, but I just, you know, look for confirmation of what makes sense to me. But yeah, didn't, wasn't raised with it as an option, but I really wish I had been. But who knows if it would have been cool to me if it had been an option based on my personality, probably not. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if it's fair to include all of these things in the same category, but I feel like Amanda's been my gateway to a lot of this as well, Um, like whether tarot or astrology, like horoscopes. Um, She was also the one to introduce me to the Enneagram. And so I feel like I'm probably, I'm still like learning. I have an interest, but not enough to say like I've, or like I wish I could explain more. But I think, I mean, they all seem like ways of just further understanding our self. And I think like you were saying, Sarah, it's another, you're sort of interpreting it all through your own lens. Um, so there's this open-endedness to it. And I was just thinking about what you were saying earlier about how are you making choices, whether with external or internal f- influences. And I mean, I feel like that is always, like that's the heart of, you know, of everything, like trying to make these decisions as an artist about what's right for yourself or your life. And um, so I kind of look at all of these things as like these guideposts and even like conversations we would have with other artists. It's like you're sort of, you know, absorbing everything, but then you have to put it through your own filter to figure out what what might be applicable or, you know, would this work for me? Um, So I feel like all of these like external influences or learnings, you're kind of putting through your own filter. And for me, I feel like it's always this process of just trying to further trust my own intuition. And I think, I don't know, maybe this is like a Libra characteristic, but I feel like I tend to be at times indecisive or like to look at things from a lot of different perspectives and, you know, have a hard time like committing to decisions. And so I feel like that's like literally like the trademark Libra, the textbook <laughs> definition. I mean, it's definitely true for me. And so I feel like a lot of whether they're just decisions, you know, related to career or work or even within my own creative practice, I feel like, you know, my painting is really process oriented. And it's it's just this whole exercise in trying to kind of trust your intuition and instincts without second guessing. And you know, create this safe space for yourself where you're able to, you know, you're like thinking without thinking and or like, you know, entering into this flow state or whatever you want to call it. I feel like a lot of artists are seeking after that. And so I think painting kind of helps me is that that centering practice. Um, But I think I'm just always trying to take that into other areas of my life. 
and sort of like, you know, trust like whatever that inner instinct or intuition is. Um, Once you've kind of like digested all of these external things, you're just trying to quiet all of those voices and figure out what, you know, feels like the next best or next right step for you. Yeah. And on that note, like something we were kind of noted in our document, kind of thinking about those voices that you're trying to override, like the self-doubt that creeps in and kind of interrupts our ability to interpret our own best next step. I don't know. um, Kind of curious, like what that looks like for you guys. And have you been able to identify what that voice is and what that voice does? Or like, what has the process been like in terms of learning that? Yeah, I feel like throughout the last couple of years, at least for me, I've gotten a lot better at recognizing when something is rooted in anxiety or fear because a lot of those feelings were so heightened throughout the pandemic and throughout, you know, everything that was happening in the world. And so I think like something I'm always trying to battle against is, you know, doing things or allowing myself to dwell too much in this place of fear whether it's like the fear of not knowing what's going to happen next or like not knowing, you know, how I'm going to be able to support myself through my work or the fear of if I say yes to this thing, will it lead me, you know, down the right path? I just all these things, I think, you know, those are like the question, the noise that you're talking about, like all these questions that kind of swirl and cloud your judgment. And so I think trying to like cultivate this this attitude or like spirit of, I don't know, I feel like the voice that's telling you what to do is sort of optimistic or like positive by nature. It's like trying to, there's like this internal dialogue. It's like, what's the worst thing that could happen? Is <laughs> maybe like the impulse, but then also like, what's the best thing that could happen? Like, what are you striving for or working towards? And I don't know that those are like the... And like, do you take, because I think this is where the physical world and the metaphysical world like intersect. Like, do you take physical steps or like what are kind of the actions that are paired with this like attempt to try to change your like thought patterns? Because I know for me, and I'm not really good about this right now because I'm so busy, but like just going to the studio, mapping off the time that I'm going to be there, even if I don't feel like it, kind of like going to the gym or something where you're like, I have this time on this day and this is when I go. And even if I don't want to, I'm going to just be there. And then usually by the time you get there, you're like, oh, this is great. Like I'm here, I'm doing it. But stuff like that, where you don't have to feel like it's a good thing. And that's where the doubt is. It's like just doing it anyway. And I feel like at that point you kind of override. And then if you feel horrible by the time you get to the studio, like you can leave if it's really that bad, but it usually isn't. (laughs) So like bailing on a workout because it's the worst thing that's ever happened to you. Very rare. <laughs> Very rare. Like there's been occasional times where I've gotten off that Peloton or whatever, but <laughs> like, no, not much. Um, I have a question. Has anybody ever had the experience of like, really like you, you turn in, you're trying to find your inner wisdom, what you're supposed to do, where you're supposed to go. You really ask yourself like deep questions about purpose. You do it. And then in retrospect, you absolutely just made unequivocally the wrong choice. Like there in no practical sense, did it lead you towards any, which of course that is like, well, then that's the right choice because the wrong choice, but you kind of know what I'm saying, like where you have absolutely been had conviction on like a spiritual level that you were in the right path. And then it's just a big fat bomb. 
I feel like that happens to me often when I check my inbox and I'm like, this amazing opportunity has come. It is mine. I feel it in my bones. It belongs to me. And then I'll get like a follow-up email the next day and they're like, actually, we decided to go in a completely different direction. Disregard all of our contacts. And I'm like, but it was right. Like never talk to us again. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, you, you reached out to me though. What, what just happened? But I feel like I, I get my expectations and hopes up like really hard on things that I think are going to happen. And then I'm like, okay, was the lesson to adjust my expectations? Is that what I was supposed to get out of this whole endeavor? Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like hurrying, like if I'm like making a decision and I think like, oh, I don't know if I should do that. And I'm kind of like back and forth and get really in my head about it. And then I'm like, I kind of like dissociate and I'm like, it's going to be great. And I imagine the best possible outcome. And then I think, cause I did this like recently about something and it wasn't really a big deal in the end, but then I kind of didn't give myself like the space to actually get beyond that moment of thinking it's a good idea to like wait a day or something to then real, like really think with it and sit with it to then think it's a good idea the next day or like really use any like logical work around it. Like I don't make charts or lists. I think maybe that would help. I don't know. But I feel like if I just jump into something, usually it's like not a good idea. Do you have an example, Liz? I feel like that was coming from a, it was a really specific question. (laughs) Yeah. I, I feel like I have done a lot of searching, having certainty, and then like leapt into (laughs) something that absolutely backfired. I mean, the examples that are coming up are, so when I, (laughs) when I used to teach at the San Francisco Art Institute, there were a lot of opportunities to be like vocate, like exploited basically, where you could be asked to give labor in all of these different situations. So like, Hey, do you want to interview like graduate students who want to, or prospective graduate students who want to go there. And um, do you want to like help repair the entire gallery after an exit or, you know, just different ways to get involved. And I really, for a large part of my life, and I think becoming a parent has changed this really conflated, like putting my energy into a world that I was interested in as all equivalent. So like if I participated by giving my labor away at SFAI to like talk to prospective prospective graduate students, if I had really been asked about it at the time, I'd have been like, that's amazing. I'm part of the community. Like I'm, I'm building relationships with the next like level or the next group of students who might come in. And then I'm talking to other like faculty about meeting and all that kind of stuff. And although maybe that is true-ish, there were, there's also this way in which I felt like I, I, in retrospect, lost the thread of what it means to protect your time and labor and like your assets, basically. And so like, how do you just not jump into things and spread so much that you fizzled out like a big, bright star? So that's one. And I really, it's not like I live with regret about any of that. I don't. But it's a lesson I've learned so hardcore that like everything I do in my life now is basically the polar opposite. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) 
I was going to say that's really interesting because it comes up for us on, on our podcast a lot too, like, but more around this idea of setting boundaries and like, how do you, what criteria do you have for yourself in like saying yes to an opportunity? And I think that's something that has evolved with age and I don't know, maybe it's also career stage. Like we kind of talk about this impulse or like this feeling of having to say yes to everything and just take on everything, especially when you're starting out because you just don't know where things are going to lead. So I think maybe initially it was coming from this place of feeling like, well, we just have to experiment and like, you know, like you never know what's going to happen. And so we're just saying yes. And, you know, we had more energy back then too. So as our, our life responsibilities grow and I don't know, as we've gotten a little older, we've started to realize that we can't do everything all of the time and have had to, yeah, figure out like what's important to us or like learn the hard way by being stretched too thin. Um, I think that's something that, I mean, Amanda and I talk about this all the time. We just like struggle with chronically. I feel like I'm, you know, a hopefully recovering but like still fall into uh the workaholic mindset a lot of the time and just you know stretching myself too thin and so I think trying to figure out yeah like what are all of these opportunities created equal like what is really important to you or like what's actually you know possible for my capacity at this point in time and I don't know, I just relate to what you're saying and I feel like it's something we've also talked about with, with a lot of other artists. Like how are they deciding what to say yes or no to? I mean, it also sounds a lot like dating if anybody has ever dated somebody with pure conviction that it was like the right person. And then later the big reveal was it wasn't, <laughs> you know? Right. Like, and you put like so much energy into it and you're like, so much. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. And that's where I think it becomes you know, borderline, it's like this like desperate act, not maybe I'm thinking about my dating efforts, but (laughs) like the idea that when you go after something with that energy of like, maybe not valuing yourself to the level that you should. But although I would say like when you're younger and don't really know anyone or haven't really done anything yet, like doing everything is a good way to get to know people. And you could do that for like a year. (laughs) And so I don't think that's bad, but I do think, yeah, you get to a certain stage and you're going to like burn out completely. But yeah, like just thinking about like that inner voice, I think if there's any fear around, if I don't do this, what is going to happen? And that's like your driving force for doing it. I think that's where like I run into problems. And I think that's kind of what I meant about like jumping into it without like giving myself that space to decide. Cause I think if you're acting out of fear, you're kind of only going to get fear in return. Like it's like that law of the universe, like, you know, the energy you put in is you're going to get out of it. And so, yeah, like as I've had more time and space in part because of traveling alone and then in part because of the pandemic, I feel like reevaluating my reevaluating my motives before taking something on has been a huge part about um, how I've been like trying to create a new more sustainable life. Although I will say I totally work too much and I don't know. I don't know how people don't in San Francisco, you know, it's just so hard, but, um, or anywhere as an artist, but that's a different conversation. So, so that reminds me of two things. One is I feel like it is so hard whenever you talk about anything practical in art world and to understand who has family money and who doesn't. And like, you know, all of these conversations people have and 
how how can you really get to the bottom line if you don't know who has family money and who doesn't? Like sort of end of story or who's married to somebody or- I love that. You're like, put on a bad already. <laughs> like just put it on your TV, put it out there so we all understand and then we can just relax a little bit. And that is like, honestly, like the, on the, you know, cable news where they have the stock market going down the bottom. That's always what I'm thinking whenever I'm talking to anybody about anything where, where it comes to like practical and time is like, um, and my parents are helping me support my child. Full transparency. But still, it's like, I feel like that's the artist podcast by Michael Shaw, I believe his name is. That's the premise of that entire podcast is like talking about the oil underneath the hills or whatever. Um, I haven't listened to it in a while, but I feel like that's his whole thing is like, you know, how are people making it? And then this like secret world of like how people are actually making it because it's such a rarefied environment to be at the top level of the art world. And I do know like a couple people, like my friend Ivy in New York, who is not being supported by anyone, but she's like working like 70 plus hours in the studio and does have like one assistant, but it's like, that's not sustainable either. I don't know how she does it. And so you can be high functioning, but at some point, like either you're going to break or like you need this like invisible support to like make the art world accessible to you. I don't know. Yeah. I know we, it's important to us on beyond the studio to try to have conversations of like, how did you actually support your art business while you were building it? Yeah. Were you the one supporting the art business while you were building it? Did you need support building it? Like what was involved in that? And trying to ask the like very, I don't know, just to get clear and honest. Like one of the things that we had talked about when we first started the podcast was like, as social media rises and becomes more popular and it's, it, changes the way that we view the world and ourselves and our actual friends and relationships it totally can we can i swear on your podcast oh absolutely (laughs) it totally fucks with our perception and i feel like that also happens a lot in the art world in various spheres and degrees you know myriad ways all over the place where we kind of present this almost like, uh, and I say we as like collective we humans, creatures of this modern society and world, uh, we paint this very like smoke and mirrors view of what our lives look like, where it's like, everything's beautiful, here's the curated version. And I'm not going to tell you about all the rejections that I got, or I'm not going to tell you about the fact that like, my parents are paying for all this, or I'm not going to tell you about the fact that, you know, I have multiple jobs supporting this business and this is not the thing that's financially supporting me. And it's like, it's hard to talk about because I think we've been trained not to talk about it, but it's really not that hard to talk about if you're like, vulnerable to talk about. Yeah. 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 Well, and if people do have family money, I mean, I don't care. Like, as long as you're a good person and you're contributing to society, like as an artist, like you're lucky and you, you know, lucked out that that's your life. And so it's more just like the idea that that's not happening. That is messing with everyone's head. I feel like, or that there's not, I don't know, or no offense to my friends, but 
who have husbands that are taking care of them basically. And I, I know that they all worked very hard before, you know, that happened, but where basically they don't have to work because the bills are taken care of, you know? So it's like, as long as we just know that the playing field isn't fair and just can talk about it in a real way, like maybe that's enough because, you know, ultimately, I don't know, life is not fair. So that's okay. Karma, you know, it's like, I guess I feel like, yeah, it's, potentially it's your karma to not have that life. And maybe they had a really shitty one in the last life and this is their reward. So I like to give them the benefit of the doubt. Like, you know, you earned it. I don't know how you got there, but. Yeah. I mean, part of what I think podcasting does is kind of create a platform to be able to talk about some of these things that maybe in another context might be a little bit uncomfortable or, um, you know, to what extent can you like ask somebody else about, you know, the different privileges they've had or, you know, how do they really make this work? And so I think part of just going back to the initial question of motivations for starting a podcast was to be able to kind of create a space to ask some of these questions in a way that was like socially acceptable. Because <laughs> um, in addition to there being just a lot of mystery in the art world in general, um, I think there are a lot of misperceptions around, you know, how artists are being supported and it just serves to kind of further, you know, create this bubble of exclusivity where artists, regardless of their background or privilege, just don't have an understanding of what it might take to, you know, break into something or get to that that next level. And so I think, um, you know, we wanted to kind of like talk about the the individual circumstances along with the collective or some of the systemic challenges. And so I think like all of these things factor into, again, that question of like, how do you make decisions for yourself? Like, how are you going to move forward? I mean, you know, looking at your own like life circumstances, what kind of support do you have, whether that's like financial, emotional, like who's in your life that can kind of help you down this creative path. I mean, I think all of those are essential questions, you know, and, and just being more open and talking about those things does actually, whether or not you feel like you're coming from a place of privilege, I think it does open a pathway for other artists because the more transparent we are, the more, you know, examples we have and the more pathways uh, just by being open about what, what the realities are, what it really looks like. And I think that in itself is um, really valuable for other artists to be able to hear and learn from. And then again, like make decisions based on what they feel is best for them. But like you said, just knowing. Yeah. And ultimately, if you're an artist, you your patronage has to come from somewhere. Like people have to buy your paintings or your whatever, your sculpture, and you have to get support financially or it's not going to work. So whether it's, you know, a relative or people who are buying your paintings, like in the end, like it comes down to that. And so I don't know. I think one thing I don't want to do is just like kind of say all money is like bad, you know, or like having having a lot of money is like a bad thing. I don't know that we're going down that path, but. Oh, yeah. And there's no judgment on the circumstances in which anyone comes from and like some people come from money some people have to work really hard to find their money some people have to work really hard to find some emotional support some people have to work really hard to find community support it's like we're all we all come to this earth with with our own set of whatever and we figure out how to deal with it and the hope is that we use what we have to or maybe I'm projecting my values but like to support our community and to leave this world better than we came into it. Or, you know, if there's something we can leave on it, may it be good. Yes. Uh, 
And like whether we have means to do that with financial funds or not, it's like we, we find a way to use the resources we have regardless of what those resources look like. Absolutely. Like cultural capital is huge. Yeah. I mean, cultural capital, prestige capital, like all the stuff that like, especially the art world trades in that isn't always monetary. I think that like, it's a perfect freaking example of why it's so hard to talk about this, like straight up conflict of interest, man. Absolutely. Um, You know, so yeah, I think you're really right. That is why it's hard to talk about because you don't want to offend the right, wrong people who are going to buy your paintings in two years or whatever, five years, 10 years. Oh, yeah. The last thing you want to do is offend your clientele. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there are so many different forms of support that, you know, we all receive. And I think something, though, that I was just reminded of is, is, you know, like what we like one of the questions we had or like maybe misconceptions earlier on as like newly graduated art students was just and now I think we're really careful about doing is conflating like different types of success, like just because an artist has reached a certain stage of career or they're exhibiting in, you know, prestigious galleries or they're in the Winnie Biennial um, doesn't necessarily mean that they're able to like financially support a practice. And so I think like that distinction was also important in realizing that, you know, all of these forms of success are not sort of created equal and one doesn't necessarily follow or like is linked to the other. And so kind of separating out some of that too. And I feel like this kind of goes back to identifying what your own personal view of success is. And the way that I think about it now is almost like those are two separate goals, like trying to achieve financial stability for yourself or your practice is sort of one end. And then like whatever other kind of artistic goals you might have um, related to your creative career or whatever this looks like. And sometimes those things might be linked together. But I think, you know, some of that had to do with just the like air of mystery around the art world and being kind of shocked, realizing that, you know, actually all these artists that we look up to, they're not, you know, they're still working multiple jobs or they're trying to juggle a lot of different things, um, even while they've achieved like all of these other successes. And so I think being able to unpack all of that and... One of the first episodes, actually, that I listened to of the side woo, um, Sarah, was, um, I forget the guest that you had on, but it was all about money as energy. Oh, Nikki. Yeah. That was the first episode. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, she's such a great example, and I almost just brought her up before you even said that, because talking about that made me think of how Barack Obama basically only paid off his student debt because he sold that book as he was running for president, which is kind of something that, you know, in our generation, you would not have expected that. But now I'm not surprised because, you know, national debt or student debt is like a national crisis. Um, And that is Nikki's podcast that she was running um, called Matter of Life and Debt, all about student debt in America. Mm. Yeah, well, I don't know. This might be a kind of a change of subject now, but you just reminded me of something else. And I I did want to ask you about um, something you had said earlier about um, the motivations behind doing something. And I don't know if this at all connects with Nikki's like philosophy around kind of the energy that she brings to money. But I'm wondering if you have felt like because you had talked a little bit about your travels, Sarah, if that like motivation um, or intention that you're bringing to something has do you feel like that's made a difference? Like, have you been able to see examples where, you know, the intention that you've brought to something has, you know, been really important to the outcome? Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, I do. Um, I mean, it's hard because right now I have some credit card debt over from like the last like year or two that same. Yeah, I heard, you know, I heard that episode where you guys talked about trying to pay off your debt. And so I think that's a thing when you're like freelance or you're trying to like get your business up and running, like it is really easy to accrue debt, especially if you live in the Bay Area or, you know, even part time. And so I don't want to say that like, wow, I'm doing so great, but I do feel like this opportunity came up in this like magical, like the house sitting opportunity that Mm -hmm. I had. Like I left Mexico from the residency was in San Francisco one day before moving here to stay for like nine months where I like house sat. And that buffered me through the entire pandemic, like the pre-vaccination pandemic. And I just felt like it was because I was on the right path and like, I was trusting my art. I was trusting, you know, I was running my own business at the time. And I don't know, I I can't say more than things like that happened to me only when I'm like really trusting my gut and not going with the obvious choice of like getting the job at the, you know, accounting firm or becoming an executive assistant or whatever that would make me money in the short term. But like, I just don't think that things like that come up when you're not following your path. Like, I think it's like, that's all about struggle and earning things the hard way. And it doesn't have to be that way. Although right now it'd be nice to have that and pay off my debt, but (laughs) yeah. So I guess that's one, like a more recent example was, you know, I'm working as a recruiter now, which I know Nicole, you were doing some recruiting for CCA. Oh, for Micah, actually, this was back in Baltimore though. Oh, Micah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Got it. Oh, awesome. Um, well, yeah. And so this is more like corporate recruiting. So it's kind of like a sales job. I don't know if it was like that for you. Um, elements of, yeah, more counseling, but there's definitely, you know, you're kind of repping your school. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Yeah. This is like straight up, like you earn a commission when you oh, okay, place yeah. someone into a job. And so it's kind of like, you can work as much or as little as you want. You just have to kind of make the money for the company. And So I've been there like four months and I've been working really hard, you know, like every day, like put in my hours or whatever and do all the things they tell me to do. And then finally, like a couple of days ago, it was like really pretty early in the morning still. And I was just like, oh, I'm not getting any traction. I, you know, haven't heard back from anyone who's supposed to email me back and like nothing is happening normally by now, like I'd be getting emails or phone calls or whatever. And so I finally just was like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to keep pushing this. I'm, I have some errands to do. I have some art stuff I'm going to get, go do. And like I left and I went to the post office. And while I was in the post office, this hiring manager started like calling me like three times in a row. And I just felt like, I know that sounds like a small thing, but it like, you know, when things resonate with you physically, like it resonated me like, oh, I had to leave. I had to go do the thing I was supposed to do to take care of me. And then like stuff will come to me and I don't have to go out and like get it in this way that's like uncomfortable and like fear-based. Cause I felt like I was just sitting at home spiraling. And when I left and did my own thing, like people came to me instead. And so things like that, I think are more significant because it's like you're bringing energy towards you instead of having to like go and chase it. I don't know. Well, I think one of the things about trying not to make fear-based decisions, which I feel like I've heard everybody um, in our roundtable be like, fear-based decisions, send you down the wrong path, fear-based decision, you know, where if you could like sum it all up and then 
what does spirituality do but help you make decisions with less fear and more faith, you know, of whatever it is, whatever stripe it's happening, whether it's like a crystal you're holding or a tarot deck or whatever it is, it's like literally to essentialize, to help you make decisions with less fear, which this just reminded me so strongly of this one example, 2014, man, and I had to say no to a class to teach. And if you are an adjunct, like you don't fucking say no to anything. Like you're like, yeah, I'll teach there. I'll teach there. I'll teach up. I'll teach down. I'll teach, you know, up my, uh, everywhere. You just say yes, 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 yes. And I taught darkroom classes and I wanted to get pregnant. And I sort of had it like, this is the time. And I had to say no I mean, I'm still like using like a scandalous tone of voice, but I cannot even tell you what it was like to say no to a darkroom class where I was like, no, I can't do that because, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to teach darkroom when I'm pregnant. And um, it was to this day, one of the scariest things that I have done is actually say no to something that I was so convinced was like the thing. I was like, it'll never come back. Never, ever, 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 ever. And it did. It came back. It came back. And I really almost feel like I had to have that experience of being forced to say no to something that I'd been so like desperate for to understand that you can survive that you're desperate for like it'll be there for you if it's really meant for you you can wait and do your other thing and then come back it'll yeah. be and it'll be there it'll be there yeah 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 and you gain so much power from saying no and like even if it feels like it may not be the right choice at the time being able to confidently afterwards be like I'm proud of myself for having made such a bold move or you know being able to to do something that I was scared shitless to do but like felt right in my bones or at least felt like the right move for you know the future of myself and my family yeah and you know when it when it's a choice like that it's like what what choice can you make yeah yeah sorry to co-op the oh my god no that's a really much better than my recruiting story so no (laughs) no but um yeah I was just gonna say it's definitely very relatable and I think that a lot of times, like I had made, this is a very different kind of decision, but I had made a decision uh, at the end of 2021 or at, I don't even know time anymore, but within the last couple of years, I made the decision to phase out uh, producing wholesale for my small business, which has been like kind of its its life force for a little while, but it was really exhausting. And I was like, the time and money and energy something has to give and like I can't give more than I'm giving so I have to find a way to take some back and it was terrifying to be like I'm just gonna start saying no to orders as they come in and I'm gonna say no to clients and I'll like say no to money which I don't feel comfortable doing because it definitely feels like a very desperate need all the time but by saying that it almost not only whatever shifted the universe in a direction of like, she ain't going to do that. Don't bother her with that. Her time is more valuable. We respect her time. But it also like shifted that attitude in myself where I'm like, yeah, no, why was I doing that? I was like going down with, with blinders and I wasn't able to see that like I was going down a really stupid path that 
I, I didn't have to be going down. But it was a really scary decision to decide to not go down that path anymore. But then allowing myself to say no, I was like, oh, this is what this is what a little self-respect feels like. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> well, and Nicole, like um, when you had first asked us about this question, like I had just listened to one of your podcasts where you were talking about something getting canceled on you. And then your goal was, you know, to pay off your debt and you had like a financial goal for the year. And even though something was canceled, something else came through at like almost in the exact amount. Um, Can you tell that story maybe really quick? Yeah, totally. I think, you know, Liz, when you were just talking about trusting the timing of things that resonated with me, because I feel like that's such a big part of it too, is like, almost like detaching yourself from the the specifics of like, I need this thing to happen at this moment in time. And I don't know, just like those subtle power shifts can be really reassuring to feel like, you know, this is going to happen in its own time and or it's going to happen at the right time. And I just kind of need to like, trust that is going to be true. But yeah, we've we've told this story on the pod on our podcast a couple of times, um, when Amanda and I have just, you know, shared in our own career journeys. And I have to say, like, I didn't, I never really like put a lot of stock in this idea of manifesting or like how important, you know, the mindset piece of it was um, because so much of our conversations center on the practical and I feel like you can't have one without the other. But but this was a, an example where I, I really do feel like that was like the the piece. And I don't know if I can even fully explain it, but I, you know, I had accrued all of this credit card debt from the first couple of years when I lived in San Francisco and just kind of underestimating what that transition was going to be like and then trying to make it work as an artist. And I was juggling a lot of like part-time and freelance gigs in addition to my studio practice at that time. And after a couple of years, I just realized that wasn't really working. And um, so I I shifted gears and I had started working full time on the career development side at California College of the Arts. But I had also, you know, set myself this goal of paying off my credit card debt within that next year. And even though I had this like new steady paycheck through this full time job, I didn't feel like I would. I felt like the money was going to have to come through other sources. Like it wasn't, you know, like that was enough to cover other bills, but I it wasn't going to have enough to you know, be able to do it with that alone. And um, so I just had this number in mind and I really kept trying to visualize what it was going to feel like to pay that off. And Amanda and I have talked about other resources and things that we were taking in. Like this book was recommended to us by one of our podcast guests called You're a Badass and Making Money. And so I was just like really trying to feed myself with all of these Uh, I don't know, tools and like uh, reminders that, you know, this is possible and like really train myself to kind of think about what what that reality was going to feel like. And I don't know. Yeah, like within a couple of months, I had um, gotten this commission all of a sudden to do this like large sculptural installation. This was like at the end of 2019. And the like budget for that project was almost the exact amount of like credit card debt I was trying to pay off. So you know, I was really excited. I felt like this was going to be how I was going to do this. Like, I'm going to do this project and pay off all my debt. And a few months later, the pandemic happened. So we, you know, had started work on it. And like, fast forward a couple months um, to try and make a long story short, the project got canceled. So I had like half of the money, like the deposit I was able to put towards it. But I had to think of another way for it to happen. And around the same time, like a few months later, I 
again, kind of unexpectedly sold a couple of really large paintings through the artist gallery here. And the amount for that was like the exact, you know, leftover amount that I had to put towards my debt. So the combination of those, like by the end of the year, I think actually that came through, it was like towards the end of the year. So like maybe August, October. And yeah, I was able to meet the goal with, again, not really a clear idea of how it was going to happen, but I I do feel like the intention was really clear. And um, some of those things, I guess, like you've been saying, you sort of set in motion earlier on, like the project and like the painting sales sort of happened unexpectedly, but I, I feel like they're, you know, the result of things that were seeded like months or years ago. So yeah, I mean, that's probably like the clearest example in my own life of just kind of like trying to manifest something. And then, you know, it didn't look, happen in the way or like along the time timeline that I thought it was going to, but it, it did come to fruition. And I feel like that was a big lesson for me. That's great. Yeah, I love that story. The one thing that kind of haunts me is the idea that when you're manifesting, it's as easy to manifest like $5 as it is like $100,000, meaning like they're equal in the eyes of the universe that is like doing the producing of the manifestation thing. So I don't know. I just wanted to put that out there for food for thought. I always wonder like, am I not thinking big enough? Am I not like you know, if I'm asking for the, you know, a thousand dollars to pay off this credit card, like, why wouldn't I ask for, you know, a hundred thousand and a new house and a car and, you know, and, and then like, why wouldn't I manifest like more than I need for that one small thing instead of like focusing on the small thing. But I don't know if you guys have thoughts about that. I got to manifest myself out of my credit card debt right now. Right. I mean, truly. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I I feel like this conversation is leading me to do some mindset shifts so that I can work on this debt. I mean, oh, sorry, my cat sneezed. That's probably going to be oh, in my audio. That was so cute. Oh, my God, that was your cat. Hey, Sprout. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was Brussels Sprout, the little tuxedo. She's off camera, but she's within microphone range. That was adorable. Yeah. I feel like these things build on themselves though. You know, it's like once you sort of feel, and maybe this just contributes to the shift away from like a fear-based kind of scarcity mentality and towards something that feels more abundant or self-empowering. It's like, almost like once you've gotten to taste, you're like, wow, this is what it feels like. And I can do this. And like things are, I don't know, like things are within reach. And I feel like it just starts to expand your idea of what's possible so that you can get to those bigger pieces where like maybe a thousand dollars, maybe that seems like a lot initially. And then once you've achieved that, you're able to think a little bit bigger. And so I kind of feel like this sort of ripples outward. And yeah, I think so too. And I think part of like the manifesting is how you move through the world and like, are you making choices like on a daily basis? Like I've noticed just my energy, even just putting into like normal tasks or, you know, the time that you knock over the milk versus you catch yourself right before you hit the milk. Like what's that energy shift, you know, that you're maybe not hurrying or you're not like annoyed by something while you're doing something else. Like there's just this level of like presence that I think partly just being alone more because of the pandemic. And I I'm putting into my life in a way that I'm like catching these moments where you're like that little voice, like talks to you. And then I'm like, Oh, I got to do that. Maybe I should do that today. Cause I'm thinking about it. 
And normally I'd be like, oh, I'm too tired. I have too much going on and I wouldn't do it. But I feel like I'm catching those more and I'm kind of hoping that those are like the building blocks to like be more successful at manifesting things. Cause I feel like it does have to exist in the, the physical world, but like, it's kind of not fully clear to me yet. Like how, you know, some of it is like magic basically. <laughs> One of the things I think is hard about incorporating like any type of spirituality, however it's defined and the art world is that, to me, the art world is really so focused on like good and bad. Like if there's so much evaluation all the time of everything, of everybody, of every conversation, of every, you know, and this, like, it's about the journey. Like nothing could be less true than like when you have like a, a, a gallery, a studio visit. I mean, Jesus, nobody cares about your journey. <laughs> Like, and they like feign interest in your, oh, yeah. it's like, and so your, so your bio can be more interesting, I guess. Or like, if they actually like your work to begin with, then they maybe want to hear about your yeah, journey and they totally. can use that as a talking point to sell that painting. But, yeah. or like, once you're already famous, you know, you can have like a weird, fun journey. But I do think like, for example, the, um, spiritual based art. Like, let's say you get really into it and, you know, somebody takes like a, um, a spirituality and art class and they draw like mandalas for a month. And it's like the first time they've done art since they were a kid and they're like loving the mandalas. And then you bring it to somebody in the art world and you're like, look at my mandalas. And like, everybody basically is like, oh, I'm just going to turn them into paper airplanes and throw them into a pond because that's not even like, that's not even art. You know, that's just you and your mandala. And it's, it, this sounds very cynical, but I do feel like there has always been a divide because the very thing that brings you comfort in this life, which is, you know, fundamentally feeling like you can, can act without being judged, that you can make choices. That yeah, unconditional love. Unconditional and, you yeah. know, nothing, there's not much I found in the art world, besides the actual act of making the art that fits that, you know, that fits that rubric. Anyway. So. It's basically like people who have felt unseen and unheard by their families and have like deep emotional trauma from that for in any varying degrees, like go to a workplace that's going to inherently embody those characteristics. And then the more successful you get, the more you're going to experience that until finally you break through and then you're like, like the ivory tower untouchable who can't relate to their family. And it's more alienation than isolation. No, I'm kind of kidding. But there you are alone on your tower, traumatized. <laughs> you're basically just doomed to be traumatized by your colleagues and like everyone in the art world, if every step of the way, kind of. I wonder if it's an... <laughs> I was talking to Nicole about this a little bit the other day, but like, I wonder if it's a, or this is like a, a not a very high thought for a non high moment, which I'm not high right now, but it, it's like, do we not know what it looks like or, or understands what it looks like to, to be an artist, to feel art because we're so focused on the, like what we think it should look like and how we can monetize it. 
And like the artist gets to escape and like melt into the spirituality of the creative process. But so much of the art world is the business of the art. And it's, it comes with so much toxicity that it's like, how can you, how can you have a spirituality in how you run your business? If that makes sense. Yeah. And like, maybe that's the question we were asking all along, but yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Well, it's so interesting to me that there is this sort of like resistance or lack of acknowledgement around the, there being any kind of spiritual aspect to it, because I feel like if you were deciding to be an artist, there is like something inherently, I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's a language gap. Like we're not using the same language to talk about it, but it's like you're engaging in acts of faith every day. You're trusting that like the work that you're putting in, it, you know, you're creating something that you haven't seen before. <laughs> and like, you know, the broadest level in your studio, you're trying to create this life that you haven't seen before for yourself. You're, you know, going through these exercises of trust, whether it's in your own ability or in like the path before you. And so I feel like this sort of like stepping into the unknown and like having trust and faith in that is a form of spirituality. And so I don't know, I, I sort of, and maybe this is part of like why you wanted to start the side woo is to uncover like these spiritual practices that maybe we all have, but don't want to admit to. And I think we feel similarly about business. It's like, you know, this is something that we all have to contend with and sort of figure out within the arts, but people don't like to talk about it or acknowledge it. And so I think wanting to peel back the curtain on all of those things and recognize like this is you know, this is all part of our experience as people. And, um, you know, again, whether we, uh, so I don't know, I, I, I like your question, Liz, but I'm, I don't know where that comes from either. Like, where is this sort of resistance to wanting to, I don't know. I think it's inherently not cool. Um, like spirituality is like earnest and vulnerable and not exclusive. And that's like everything that doesn't totally work in capitalism you know, I mean, I think so. I, I wonder if it's just the model is just so not compatible with capitalism that unless someone's like really spiritually evolved themselves, they wouldn't necessarily go into a business that's like, you know, very built on exclusivity and judgment and not conditional or conditional love and, you know, fads and coolness they just just inherently wouldn't be drawn to that community. And so maybe it's just the people who are in it. And then everyone else feels like they have to fall in line because if you want to be a player in that game, you have to play that game. But maybe I know that there are artists like, you know, social practice artists who are more about community building and abundance. And I think um, I just saw the um, Griff Williams movie that he shot about some Bay Area artists called We Were Here or tell them we were here. And he kind of paints a picture that the Bay Area is home to people who are kind of more um, like socialist in nature and really about community building and not about jumping on this like bandwagon towards like capitalist commercial success or stardom, um, even if they do end up getting successful. Like, for example, Alicia McCarthy, like she had a show at BAM PFA and they talked to Aspara and she's like, she didn't even cash the check that we gave her for that. And then she, you know, had this huge mural downtown and paid all of the artists that helped her the same amount that she was getting. And so this totally like equal playing field. And so I think 
that could be possible, but it's like, that's not the model that the kind of like Basel art world is dealing with. So it's like, how would you, other than having a microcosm, like we have here with that, that specific artist community, like, how would you make that scale up? You know, how does that scale up? Because it would, a lot of people would lose money. Like the people who invest in art, like a stock would probably lose money. And then art, some artists would lose money at first, but then I think we would all be able to support each other more in the long run because it would be more sustainable. But to do that, talk about like leap of faith, like that would be a huge shift. I don't know that that could happen. I don't know. I would imagine it would probably have to involve some serious dismantling of the existing systems, but I don't know. I mean, I, I definitely personally lean more towards like the socialist vein so i'm like yeah let them lose money that's fine like the poor need the money they're losing it let them have it (laughs) let's go (laughs) yeah Um, there was a quote that i had heard that i just keep thinking about and i can't remember i can't remember where i heard the quote i think it was maybe on the podcast hurry slowly in an interview and one of the things that they had said and this was specifically on the issue of like wealthy versus poverty but i think we could take similar understanding of other disparities in other communities in different ways. But they were like, so often we try to think like, what is the problem with poverty? We have to go to the poor. We have to ask them what their problems are. But the real issue with poverty is wealth and is that folks are able to have extreme wealth so much to the fact that like some folks can't have any personal wealth whatsoever. So it's like, how can we find a way? The answer might involve people losing money and maybe that's something we have to accept. And, you know, of course, that's something that I'm going to pitch and be like, let them lose the money. Let's go. But, you know, adding to the like, discomfort of financial conversations, maybe the, you know, the problem of people with wealth having the power to make the decision is part of why we have these inequities. Yeah. Or why? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I think that's so important. The idea of like, let them let somebody lose money, let them lose money where, you know, money isn't always the North star, but I also think like, you know, give the mandala, give the bad art a platform too would be so important. You know, if I could like, you know, take some of the money and the money game and the elitism out, I'd also like to take some of the good art out and just have like the glory of the not good art, you know, which obviously would, need to have another name because nobody wants to be branded <laughs> like you're here because you're not good but I I don't know I self-brand is just fine art <laughs> and I'm like fine good, good enough art <laughs> I just um wait is that your brand name no it's close call studio but <laughs> explained just fine art just fine <laughs> I love that yeah I don't know. I don't have much more about that other than I would love to throw out kind of the standards of that, like everything being judged by the end goal and the end and your final finished piece. Like what about the lifespan of the artist? Like what about the lifespan of making things? What about the, you know, it absolutely not being about how, you know, where it fits into the, the historical context of art making in that medium, you know, whatever, maybe if if that could be taken away and we could have it only be part of the conversation as opposed to the entire conversation, I think that would leave a lot more 
room for um, spirituality in the art world, basically. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if part of the problem is visual art is inherently like based on the material world, which is inherently the problem of our being human is like, we have to contend with the physical world, which maybe doesn't meet the standards of the metaphysical world. You did a tarot reading, Amanda, for the um, the podcast. Oh I yeah. I, I pulled some cards and I, I, I like didn't read the emails so I didn't even realize that you were planning on doing one so I was not trying to be like I've got the tarot now yeah you Um, totally did a power grab I'm sorry it was not the plan at all I was literally like journaling the other day and I was like oh I'm really excited for this call like I listened to the episode the other day maybe I'll pull some cards and like it'll help me come up with some questions or something to think about and I just pulled three cards with the idea of like what do we need to know about this conversation? Like, what do... Here, let me scroll back to what I wrote. And what if we did, like, a pre- and post-convo tarot? Okay, yeah. Maybe I'll do the post-convo and then you tell Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah, so uh, I asked, what do we need to know going into this conversation? And I pulled the Seven of Cups in reverse. And for me, I interpreted that as, like, we're making choices that are in, al- in alignment with our values can confirm. I pulled a card with the question, uh, what can we ask or maybe even expect of each other? And I got King of Wands, which I interpreted as leading with intention and powerful opportunity. Again, can confirm, feeling all of this energy from our conversation. And creative leadership, I would say, I would add to that. Yes, yes. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and I asked, uh, what do we need to ask or maybe communicate or understand about ourselves? And I got the Queen of Wands in reverse, which I interpreted as like self-respect, confidence, and kind of a deep knowing of self, which definitely was something that we talked about in our conversation. So that was my my pre-call tarot poll. No, that's super great. And I actually was looking at the Queen of Wands reversed when I thought about the self-doubt topic, because I feel like, yeah, that's the thing that keeps me from making art and being like, the confident Leo energy, you know, that is my North mm-hmm. node that I'm supposed to embody. It's all about self-doubt and just whatever that voice is. So I love that. Um, cool. Well, what should I do for um, a post-tarot? Do, should I pull a card for each of us? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. That sounds fun. Like um, energy to hold, like going forward based on, yeah. Okay. All right, Nicole, I'm going to do you. Oh, okay. Well, you got two. So, because it came out twice. Um, page of pentacles, which is very you. And I'm still so surprised that you don't have Capricorn in you. Okay. So queen of pentacles is all about this woman knows where her money is and like where her resources are. And you're like kind of tracking everything with like an eagle Mm. eye, um, and very much like in charge of her material world. And then the page of pentacles is more about like studying and like learning about money. At least this is the the way that I read it. So I wonder if like, like this is you, but you maybe can continue to like invest energy in learning how to like make your money work for you. It's funny. Cause it like even just does that. I know. I like how even visually they're connected. That's so interesting. Yeah. The card. I feel like that is very descriptive of where I feel like I'm at in this moment of time. It's sort of like a transitional period for me. And I've been thinking a lot about these things. So that tracks. Cool. Okay, Amanda, are you ready? I'm ready. I consent. 
Oh, okay. So you got three of cups, which is like celebration with ABBA. Because this yes. deck is Morgan Greer deck. So it's a very 70s. Love it. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. Um, you also got strength. Oh, I'll take it. Which, yeah, I feel like um, talking about self-doubt and like just like facing down the demons to get what you need to get done. Maybe this is like celebrate your network. Um, I mean, do you have something coming up? Well, Nicole and I have something coming up. I mean, my like personal art business has been going kind of slow. I kind of follow a like a retail schedule. So usually the holiday season is really stressful, busy, chaotic, and then have kind of a slow slump in the beginning of the year. So I'm trying to think like, okay, what can my next collection be? I need to make some stuff so I can make some money. But Nicole and I are trying to make some some moves with the podcast and we have some like speaking opportunities coming up. Oh, cool. Okay. Are you going to be partnering with a third person? Well, podcast. Well, maybe. Some collaborative events or series. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, yeah, when you interview people, that's like a third person. Yeah, because it feels to me like this is like a group of people. Okay, interesting. Well, it seems very positive. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll keep thinking on those. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Okay, Liz. <laughs> Your face. Hit me. Oh, okay. Oh, God. Are you kidding me? Is it really, is it like a big swords festival? Oh you got like the worst card. Okay. Show me. Um, tennis oh, my cards. God. Oh, oh, my, my God. God. What does That's that mean? one that you last time um do you remember that yeah so are you just exhausted though that's probably part of what it is are you giving me the nicest interpretation of that no that is what this card is like you're i'm fucking exhausted yeah and is someone being mean to you is that did i get that too you got like the sith lord so, okay, so you got the Ten of Swords, the Five of Swords, which in this deck is like oh loosely based on like um, the Sith Lord who fights with um, Darth Vader. Like it's kind of like that um, old guy. I don't remember what his name is. Senator Palpatine? I, I'm not a Star Wars, but so it's the Ten of Swords and the Five of Swords. Is that yes. what? And then you got King of Cups, which is kind of about being like emotionally overwhelmed a little bit. So, I mean, Good Lord. So, you know, dating, managing my son's type one diabetes, which is a whole big thing, which I'm in a little bit of an existential place around what it really means to manage. Are you feeling like pretty mad about it? Um, Not to, this is like a real segue, but yeah. Recently I've gotten this card when the person's like actually ready to like lash out and be like kind of mean. So yeah. it could be that that's your energy instead of it happening to yeah, you. Yeah, I'm I'm feeling a little aggressive about that. Where yeah, I, okay, uh, yeah, I could imagine. Um, oh my god, Five of Swords is so intense too. It, they're both pretty intense, but I think it's because you're tired and you're like overwhelmed. So I would say just because your card was so intense, maybe let me pull a, what your strategy should be. Just so <laughs> get on out of there. <laughs> But I always pull the most intense cards, like not even like death. Okay. It's cool because of, so, you know. Ace of Swords. 
like new, new, fresh <laughs> mentality. Okay. That's, good. That's all you got to do is just have a new mentality about it. Yay. So womp womp. Okay. <laughs> well, now that we've figured out how to fix it all. Exactly. I feel like it's, we're done. You're probably fine now, right? I'm fine. Okay. I'm going to pull up. <laughs> That's amazing. God damn it. Well, we are here to support you through okay. all of this. Oh, okay. Um, I got eight of wands, which is like having all your balls in the air, like kind of just throwing things at the wind and seeing what lands, um, which is very much my life. Like I'm kind of transitioning out of my apartment and um, like waiting on a couple of potential yeses or nos to like determine where I'm going to live and what my next like six months are going to be like. So that's very much sounds right. But, well, we know who the winner was today. <laughs> this isn't a parting thought, but I don't know if this will mean anything to you, Sarah, but I did find out my Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune are in Capricorn. I knew it. Oh, my God. Because your podcast, like, smacks of Capricorn vibes. And I'm like, yeah, like, I could feel it coming. And I'm like, as a Capricorn moon, I can smell that. So You just taught me something about me. myself. I didn't even know. I love it. <laughs> I did not know that we were exuding such heavy cap energy. <laughs> it's just your inherent, like, professionalism. And you're just, like, so reasonable. You know, even when you were talking about um, just some of the hard stuff of the pandemic and, like, I just felt like, man, these guys have, like, they've got it together. Even though you're saying you don't, like, you still really do within that, you know? Maybe. <laughs> so. We just don't record when I cry. That's all. Totally. That's the big difference. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> oh, just that. I feel like this conversation has been really insightful, and I'm so glad that we did this. It's been really fun to, I don't know, get, like, new perspective on each of our like, even though we have conversations like this sometimes on our own podcast, I feel like we never get to go this deep and it's just been a different dynamic and it's been really fun to get to know both of you on this level and also just get to cover all of these different topics about, you know, how all of these things intersect. And I was just trying to come in without expectation and see where things, you know, see where it went. And I really felt like we could have kept talking for hours more. So, yeah, we should... I don't know, do this again. <laughs> I'm excited yeah, for this yeah, conversation. I would love that. Same. I agree. I, there's something about the panel energy that I found really kind of comforting versus just a straight up interview. I felt like we were sharing like, you know, our experiences as women creators that in a way that I think maybe you don't always get when you're like a host, like talking to someone. Yeah. So, I, yeah, yeah. I don't want to take us on like a whole new rabbit hole, but actually one of the things I was like, I don't know if I want to bring this up, but I was kind of wondering when like you were questioning Liz around like, why is the spiritual aspect so left out of the art world? And I wondered if it was a bit of a gendered thing too, like just this whole aspect of like the emotional side and spirituality and I don't know. I was thinking I have this book of Hilma Afklint on my bookshelf over here. And I feel like there's so many examples of artists that have been overlooked that have really delved into these topics. And so that's a whole other thing we could get into. And maybe maybe that'll come in part two. But yeah, it was great. Like all of us getting to just share our experiences and 
You guys, I have to totally bounce because my child is going to be home in four minutes. Thank you so much for talking. Um, And it was nice to meet you both. It was nice to meet you too. Thank you for your time. And and Uh, yeah, I hope I'll see you in the Bay Area sometime soon. Oh, yeah. That'd be awesome. That's it for this episode of the Beyond the Studio podcast. You can find show notes, references, and a brief summary of the episode over at our website, beyondthe.studio. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our mailing list to find out about upcoming guests, special announcements, and podcast giveaways. Don't forget, if you're a fan of the podcast, please leave us a rating and review, submit to our listener spotlight, and if you want to support the podcast by making a tax-deductible donation, head over to our website, beyondthe.studio. Thank you.